All right, well, we've been in this series, Family Values, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series. I hope it's been meaningful for you, uh, giving you some tools. One of the, one of the, part of the vision for this series has been to give you some language around your values. I think a lot of us, when we see what we want in our families, we know it. It's like, I, I know it when I see it, but sometimes it's hard to put words around it. It's hard to articulate what it is I want. It's that, it's that moment, especially dads in the room, it's that moment when your kids come to you and they ask you a question and you're like, in your head, you're like, I know what the right answer is. I just don't know what to say. Go ask your mother, right? So like, go ask your mom. I don't know. Go ask your mom, right? We don't want this. We want your family values to be the go ask your mom result. Like we want you to have the language around it and then not only have the language about how to articulate what your values are in your family, but for you to go, but for you to, to be able to act on that and to take steps. And so that, again, that's been the vision for this series. And, and I think, I think going into this, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of us have these questions and questions like, can people stay married? Like, is that possible today to, to stay married? Is it possible to honor God with our purity in light of our culture and the way everything is? Is it possible for my kids to stay passionate about Jesus, you know, through high school as a teenager? Is that possible? And here's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible if you have a vision for your family, if you have vision for your future. And I, would, I, I really believe that as families, we need to raise the bar. We just need to raise the bar, raise our expectations for our families, for our future. We just need to take it to another level, raise those expectations. I think when we start talking about the future, we start talking about vision. I think for most of us, the first place we go is behavior. It's like, it's like we know what behavior we want to change, what behaviors we want to start. Now, I don't mean my behavior. I mean your behavior, right? You have behavior changes that need, right? I don't, right? But that's our first place to go. We're like, what, what am I doing that I need to stop? And what am I not doing that I need to start? But here's what I want you to understand about behavior is that your behavior, especially in the context of your home, is the result of the culture that exists inside of your home. And the culture that you have inside of your home is the result of the vision or lack thereof that you have for your home. Vision creates culture and culture creates the kind of behavior that you really want to see in your family. So the, the, the question to answer then, or, or better yet, just the question to ask is, what is my vision for my family? Even better, what is God's vision for my family? Like that's what we need to do. And I'm, that's my hope through, through this series. This is the last weekend for this series. And I'm, and I'm hoping that you'll have enough tools and, and language around this that, that you can get God's vision for your family and for your future. If you're single, Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe it's just like, well, I hope to one day, but that's not the season that I'm in right now. Okay, I get that. Get the right vision now, though. Like, get, get the vision for your family and the vision for your future today. You want to attract the same people. You want to attract somebody that has the same kind of vision that you do for your family. So get the right vision now. The right vision will attract the right people and the right future. So no matter where you're at, you can get a hold of this today. All right, here's what I want to do today. I want to kind of paint a picture. There's, there's, you see this in scripture all the time. There's sort of the way of the world and the way of culture. And then there's the way of Jesus. And, and the, what I want to, I want to do is I want to kind of sort of paint a picture of where we're at in our culture. What's our culture look like? And then I want you to be able to sort of see yourself in the culture. Like, where do I fit in that? Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm living it. I'm in the middle of that. And what's the way out of it? How do I navigate through that by following the path of Jesus? And so that's the way I'm going to sort of 
lay it out for you today. So we're going to start in John 15. You can follow on the screen behind me. John 15, verses 18 through 19. It says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Six times, that's a lot of worlds. Six times it says in just two verses, you hear the word world. Now I'm going to use the word culture because you don't see the word culture in scripture, but what you do see the word world, and this is, this is meaning the same thing. In this sense, it's the culture. You're not of the culture. You're, you're, you're not of it. Therefore, he's saying it hates you. Like this is, this is what scripture is talking about. So when the scripture talks about world, we're using the word culture. Now, there's some values and some ways of thinking that we see in the culture, and we see it all the time, and we talked about that last week. Sometimes it's just, it's so common, it's so ordinary, it's just sort of in the air. We don't even realize, it's just, it's coming at us all the time. Sometimes it comes out of our own mouth. Like, just the way of the culture is just, it's everywhere. And there's there's certain things that the culture likes to do, like the culture believes that it's okay to fight fire with fire. We saw that over the last few years. It's like any sort of perceived injustice somehow justifies chaos and disorder at all costs. It's like, well, fire with fire. And then, you know, it's a little different. You know, I think about, I think about brokenness and sin. You know, we have these things in us where we're going, man, that's not quite right. I have certain sin. I have brokenness in my life. But see, the culture goes, no, 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 no. Don't, don't point out brokenness and sin. No, we normalize brokenness and sin. Again, it's like it's there, but again, this is the way of the culture. One way to look at it would be that the moral line of culture has shifted. And by the way, this is the way of nations. This is the way of cultures. We're not necessarily unique in the sense that we see the moral line shifting, but we're in the middle of it right now. Like, it is shifting. I remember, anybody like do this back in the day? Anybody burn some CDs, steal CDs? That's another way to say it, yeah. Anybody do that? Uh, no, there's nobody going to arrest you today. You're okay. Anybody do the burn CD thing? Oh, yeah, I had them. I had a little mix, a little mix CD for everything. Had that. I was like, oh, I'm going on a date tonight. Got a mix CD for that. Got to, you know, see my brother in here, Sam. You know, it's like him and I, we're going to go drag, drag, memorial. It was memorial, not main. This is where we were. Anybody do that? Do the whole like drag up and down memorial? Yeah, I see a hand. Yeah, I know. I'm not the only one. That's right. We did that. And we had a mixtape for that, or not tape, it's a mixed CD. We had a CD for that too. It's like, oh, oh, these are great songs right here. We got to do this. So I had all kinds of songs. You remember, uh, um, you know, Metallica already ruined Napster, so it wasn't Napster. It was LimeWire when I was doing it. So, yeah, it was all about the LimeWire. Well, I remember I had, oh man, I had that thing down. I knew what I was doing. And then, um, and then remember those commercials that would come up at the beginning of a movie? It was like all the, like, it was really corny. It was like all the graphics all flashing around. It's like, don't steal, you know, don't copy this. You're stealing. This is a federal crime. You will go to prison. You know, something like that. Well, it got to me one time. I was like, ah, you know, I'm a Jesus follower. I better stop stealing, you know. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop burning these CDs, you know. And so I decided, okay, I'm done. And I remember I had a friend of mine, and he asked me about a CD or, uh, to burn. And no, there was no tinge of self-righteousness in my voice when I said this at all. And I looked at him like, actually, uh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. And I remember his look, the look on his face, and it was, how dare you judge me? That is, how dare you judge me? And it was funny, but, but, you know, it really is indicative of our culture. 
That's a that's a that's a that's an that's an indication of the moral shift that's happened because in our culture, identifying sin and brokenness has actually become a greater sin than the sin itself. It's like, how dare you point out my brokenness in my sin? A.W. Tozer, a really influential uh, pastor years ago, he's since, he's since with, uh, gone with the Lord, he said it this way. He said, the cause of all our human miseries is a radical moral dislocation. Again, this moral cultural shift that we see happening. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 5.8, he would say it like, he said it like this, and he said, whoa. And this isn't like a woe, like the guy on the corner who's screaming at you to turn or burn. It's not like, it's not that kind of woe. It's more like a, it's more like a, a pain woe. It's like, whoa, woe to those who would call good evil and evil good. Like, whoa. See, this is, like I said before, this is a, sort of the progression of culture, the progression of society. And when we think about culture and society in the context of our faith, when we think about it with when it comes to Scripture and the Bible and as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to sort of, if I, can, if I can simplify it down to these three phases, there's a progression that happens in the context of our faith where you have this pre-Christian culture, Christian culture, and then a post-Christian culture. And, and this, this pre-Christian post-Christian thing, it can be really tempting to think that they're sort of the same thing. It's, it's tempting to think that they're the same thing. A post-Christian culture, however, wants to hang on to the benefits of, and blessings of Christianity because it's got some familiarity with it. It wants to hang on to that while keeping its ability to do whatever it wants to do. That's a post-Christian culture. You could say it this way, a post-Christian culture sort of wants to have its cake and eat it too. It's like, it, it, it knows what it's leaving behind. It just wants to keep all the good stuff, but it just wants to gut it of any of the demands that it might put on the individual life. Uh, and really, when we think about these ideas and these values that we have, especially in our post-Christian culture, because this is where we find ourselves. We are in this sort of post-Christian culture, and there's a lot of ideas. And honestly, some of these cultural values and ideas that we see there, there's a little bit of a, there's, there's some element of truth to some of them. So they're, they're a little bit tempting, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Some of those you can, you can sympathize with a little bit. But for most all of them, they have their ideas are rooted in Jesus. I think about the emphasis on human rights. We hear it all the time. I got news for you. That finds its roots in Jesus. I'm not saying that the fruit that we see is of Jesus, but, but the whole idea of human rights, that's Jesus. I, when we talk about things like decency toward one another, equality and peace, I got news for you. The roots of that go back to Jesus. Like you're, you're, you're trying to hang on to some Bible values here. This is Jesus that we're talking about. And the truth is, as a post-Christian culture, we borrow our ideals. The culture borrows its ideals. You could say it like this. A post-Christian culture wants the kingdom without the king. That's what it wants. Now, as as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a danger in some of this. And it's really important that you understand the culture. You understand a post-Christian culture and how that differs from a pre-Christian culture. And, and, and here's part of it. Here's, here's the danger. And I have a slide for this. Yes. 
if as a Christian, a Christian going into a pre-Christian culture, this would be like somebody in here decides that you're going to do some missions work and you're going to go to some remote parts of Africa and you're going to bring the gospel. You're going into a pre-Christian culture. And people who have done that, they're just, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing feeling to walk in and go, hey, by the way, I'm bringing the good news and people are ready to receive the good news. And it's just like, you are there to colonize that culture. And it's a great feeling. But see, we're not in a pre-Christian culture. We're, not a, we're in a post-Christian culture. And so another analogy for, for maybe somebody in here who, who goes into a post-Christian culture, this would be like we send our students off to university or college. And we send them off, and it's like, well, I hope they're strong in their faith. And we all cross their fingers, and it's like, I hope they come back the same. Or as Christians, what is that? See, when, as a Christian that goes into a post-Christian culture, the danger is that we're colonized by the culture. This is the danger. When this happens, this is where we commence the cultural drift. This is that, this is that cultural drift that's so subtle and so appealing at different times. And I really think like this sort of understanding this and this, this sort of drift that is so easy to get caught up in, I think this is one of the biggest dangers for the church today. Big C, capital C church, specifically in our nation. And I know I've heard some people, it's like, well, thank God I'm in North Dakota. Thank God I'm in Williston. And I agree. Thank God. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. But don't, don't be mistaken. Don't think that we're that somehow we're the exception. No, 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 no. We're not the we're not exempt from this. We are finding ourselves in the middle of a post-Christian culture. There might be a little bit of a lag in certain areas, but it's here. And it's important that you're able to recognize it. Now, the biggest danger, like I said, for this the church, big C capital C or the capital C church, is what I would call this Jesus plus kind of faith. Like like we have these things in our life that we get really passionate about, and they're not necessarily bad things. A lot of times they're good things, and we get really passionate about it. But see, the, the cultural drift starts to happen when we go, man, I'm, I'm all about politics, and it's like that's all I think about. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I bring Jesus with me. It's like it's Jesus plus, right? It's my faith plus. I'm all about, listen, life's about accumulating. It's about as making as much money as possible. It's like, I will at all costs, I will make more money. I'll put everything on the back burner. Why? I need more. I got to gain more. I got to have better comfort. I need more in my life. What is that? It's, it's consumerism. It's Jesus plus. It's like, yeah, but I bought the sign for my wall, and it says, it says we love Jesus. Like, that's consumerism. What is that? It's Jesus plus. Or hyper-individualism. This one, we can't ever get away with from it. See, it used to be this idea that there, that you as an individual were a person to be formed. That, like, like that, like that diamond in the rough kind of thing. It's like, yeah, there's so much potential, but there needs to be, there needs to be some formation here. And we used to think of ourselves like that. And so we would read and we would get around people and we would have mentors and we would receive criticism and we would be critiqued. And this is the path that we go. But see, it shifted in a post-Christian culture. You're not a person to be formed. You're a person to perform. Like your life is meant to be an act. And this is why, this is why we can't get enough of social media. It's like, no, I'm going to let the real me shine. Like I'm going to say what I want because that's the real me. I'm going to say what I'm thinking because that's who I am. You be you and don't let anybody ever stop you. And the crazier it gets, the crazier it gets, the louder the culture will applaud your performance. What is this? This is this is this DIY sort of faith. It's like I'm I'm a Jesus follower, yet I'm kind of like 
I'm kind of all wrapped up into the ideas of the culture all at the same time. And this cultural drift finds its roots in the two great sins that we see in, in Genesis chapter 3. It's this whole idea of rebellion against God, but it's also this grasp that we have, this desire that we have as people to, for us to define what is good and evil on our terms. Those are those two things, and this is what we see. You could say it like this. We want to be in charge of our ideals and our values. That's what we want. By the way, this is not a new problem. We're not the first ones to do this. We're not the first ones to think like this. It's not a new problem. And this is why, because it's not a new problem, we've seen this before. This, is, this has happened in the past. There's a strategy to this. There's a real enemy out there, and his name is the devil, and he absolutely wants to steal from you. He wants to take from you. He wants to disrupt your life, and he has a strategy for doing it. And you need to understand, you need to know what his strategy is here. And I'm going I'm to say this, and I'm, I'm actually going to repeat this too. Here's the devil's strategy for your life. Deceptive ideas. He wants to feed you deceptive ideas that appeal to our unrenewed, undiscipled desires that are normalized by a post-Christian culture. I'm going to say it again. This is the devil's strategy for your family, for your kids, for your life. He wants to feed you ideas, deceptive ideas that appeal to your unrenewed, undiscipled desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Now, these ideas, these are subtle. A lot of times they're just subtle and they, they, they look good. They look, they look reasonable at times. I think about last week we talked all about priorities. And sometimes these are these deceptive ideas. It's like, no, no, I, I gotta, I gotta go all in with my career. I mean, I, I'm not gonna be home forever, but you know what? I gotta, you know, it's my career is everything. I gotta pursue it. After all, this is my dream. Like this is what I've been, this is what I want and this is my dream. So I gotta go. I gotta pursue that. It's a, there's a, there's a tinge of truth, but yeah, there's a deceptive idea in the middle of it. How I respond to people who have wronged me. Or how about this? How I respond to people who I think are wrong. Like, there's some deceptive ideas there that want to thwart your, your life and get you off course. And we as people, we have this unique ability of justifying ourselves, don't we? I mean, it's really, it's really easy. We've all been there, by the way. Every one of us has been in those, that place, that sort of crossroad moment where you can follow the way of Jesus or you can justify your own desire. Everyone's been there. It's like you're standing, you're sitting in front of that computer screen and you're wondering, should I go to this website? It's like, do, do I, what do I, what do I do? And you, you, people just have a way. We have a way of justifying our behavior in the moment. It's like somebody, somebody wrongs us and says something and it's like, well, how am I going to respond? Cause I know how, brother, I know how I want to respond right now, right? We, like it comes up in you and you're like, I know how I want to respond. But it's that moment. Am I going to justify this? What is this? Deceitful ideas. Here's what you need to know about sin. Sin is not bad because it's been forbidden. Okay? It's forbidden because it's bad. I think, I think sometimes when we think about Adam and Eve and we hear the story, you know, God places them in the garden and he says, don't eat from this tree. We have this image that God is in the kitchen and he put this jar of cookies on the counter and he said, kids, come on in here. Just don't eat the cookies. And it's like, well, of course they ate it. They're cookies, you know? And it's like, let me give you a better word picture, okay? Guy got the house ready, and he said, kids, come on in here. Just don't go in the garage and drink the antifreeze. That's what he says. That's what he's saying. Like, it's bad for you. It'll kill you if you do. And listen, nobody's, nobody's denying. Nobody's denying that there's not pleasure at the end of that. Like, there's 
obviously there's an upside to sin at times. Like it feels good. There's a, there's a pleasure part of it and nobody would deny that, but that's not what we're talking about. See, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus is the path that leads to flourishing. And that's what we want for our families. That's what every one of, every one of us wants. That's, that's part of every one of us. If we said your vision, if we could start describing your vision, you have a vision. You want to see your family flourish. So let's walk down that path. Let's walk down this path of Jesus. And as we do that, as we walk down this path, so here we are in this sort of post-Christian culture, but we've, no, we're going to follow the way of Jesus. And as we walk that way, here's one of the first things that we're going to see along that path that we got to do to get a hold of a good vision for our family, to, to walk the way of Jesus, is we got to embrace God's pattern. Embrace God's pattern. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says this, Paul wrote this. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, here's Paul writing about marriage. And he's, he's, he's talking, and I can only imagine, he's sitting there, he's, okay, what am I going to write here about marriage? And he, and he writes this, but where did he get this? See, Paul's not the first one to write this. See, the, the, the first person to actually say this about marriage was actually God himself all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Here's God making this statement about his vision and his will for men and women, for husbands and wives in the context of family. And then along comes Jesus in Matthew 19, and Jesus says the same thing. And then finally we get to Ephesians, and here's Paul, and he's going to write, and he's trying to encourage some people about marriage. And what does he say? He repeats God's vision, God's pattern for marriage, he repeats God's original vision. And so here we have, we have God who, who says it, and Jesus repeats it, and Paul repeats it. And I got news for you. That goes for us too. So if I want to know what is God's vision for my life, what is God's vision for my future, what's the pattern I follow? I follow God's pattern. I ought to go back to the beginning. What does God say about my family? That's where we got to start. And so that's where we're going to start. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. I'm going to read this. We're just going to go through this rather briefly. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. First thing we see God do after he creates people and puts these two together, first thing he does is he blesses them. I got, this is good news. He blesses them before they could do anything, anything bad or anything right. He, he blessed them before they could have that moment where they could make the right decision or the wrong decision. He blessed them before they could get their quiet time down. He blessed them before he could get his family in just the right order. Like, he starts with blessing. God sets this tone and he says, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a giver. I'm a giving God. And so God goes first and he says, I'm going to give you something before I ever expect anything in return. And I would say this too, for you moms and dads, husbands and wives, you with your friends, if you're single, wherever you're at in your life, you can do the same thing too. 
You can go first. We can be a place and be known as people of blessing. Not always looking for to receive, but be people who are giving. Be givers to other people. Give with our encouragement, with our words. Give with kindness, love, and joy, and peace. Like we can be givers too. And here's what we see in this moment in Genesis. God has created blessable, image-bearing covenant partners. That's who he's created. And he's blessed them. And then he gives them a mandate. And this is the first thing he tells them to do. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I know for a lot of us, the first place we go is we go, well, I'm not married yet. Obviously, he's talking about having kids and reproducing the earth. And it's like, well, maybe. Like there's kind of, but that's we're missing it. Like there's more to it. So the Bible talks about fruit. Like how about the fruit of the spirit? Like you can, you can, you can be fruitful with the fruit of the spirit. We can be people who lead with love and joy and peace and patience. Like we can, we can be those kinds of people. We can be fruitful in that sense. And yes, it does include our children. It does include, it does include having children. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. But, but a better question to ask is multiplying who in what? Is it just multiplying for the sake of multiplying? Or are there some ideas and behaviors that we're also looking to be fruitful and multiply with that? Here's the next thing he says. He says, subdue. Subdue the earth. By the way, this is a, this is a militaristic term. It's a very violent word. And what he's saying here is he's saying doing good is a violent act against the powers of darkness. Doing good. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. No, here's God stating the vision for your family and the ideas for what families look like. But guess what? Jesus actually repeated it. You may not even know that. This is Matthew chapter 28 when he says, he actually gives the great commission. He says, go into the world and make disciples. I got news for you. That's being fruitful and multiplying. Be fruitful and multiply. Go into the earth, make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. What is that? That's subduing. Like go into the world, subdue it. How do you do it? By doing good. It's churches. It's your family. It's you. We go into the world creating these communities, beginning at your home, creating these communities of blessed, image-bearing covenant partners with God. This is his vision for you. These are, these are communities, and like I said, it begins at home. These are communities that are become part of communities that live with integrity and faithfulness and generosity. We become people who are, who are on mission to create more blessable, image-bearing covenant partners with God. This is who we are. Here's the next thing he tells us to do. He says, have dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is, this is authority. Have dominion. Have authority over it. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you're a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you live your life from a position of victory. Position of victory. Jesus has gone to the cross and he was crucified, but he rose again. Your life is fought from a position of victory. There is a real enemy out there and he wants to steal your joy He wants to steal your family. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to drive a wedge into the people, in between you and the people you love and care about most. He wants to steal your kids. He wants to. But I got news for you. As a follower of Jesus, we have the strategic high ground in this fight and in this battle. Listen, you can have authority. Listen to me, every one of you. You can have authority over temptations that come in your life. 
I don't care when you're by yourself, when you're with other people, you can have authority over these sort of temptations in your life. Parents, mom and dad, you can have authority over the things that will pull your kids away from God and you. You can have authority over social media. You can have authority over the things that you're afraid or you're concerned that the teachers might be teaching your kids at school. You can have authority over those moments. You can have authority over the influence that other friends are having on your kids. You can have authority over your family. You can do that. For those of you that are single, I'd say this. You can have authority in your life right now too. Listen, you're single. You're single here. You can have authority over Tinder. Okay? You can, have, you can have authority over the pressures of life and what, what the, the temptations that come as a single person. You can have authority over the lies that you're alone and by yourself. You can have authority in this moment right now because of Jesus. Listen, the beginning of God's vision for your future is this right here. This is the beginning. Vision for the future equals power in the present. Amen? You can clap for that. Go ahead and clap. Yes. So here's the next thing that we got to do is get, get God's vision for our family is we need to cultivate God's presence. We need to, we need to be a people who cultivate the presence of God where, where, wherever we are. How do we, how, so how do we do that? Well, you can do that personally. begins personally. You know, that's why we talk about as a church, we talk about next steps all the time. Take a next step, you know? You know, take a next step in your prayer life. Read scripture. Get in scripture. You see, some of you are going, I just don't, I just don't got the faith for that. My grandma had a lot of faith, but I'm not sure I got that kind of faith. That person's got a lot of faith. Preacher, you got a lot of faith. I just don't know about me. Listen to me. It ain't, this is, it's not a, it's not a mystery. You need to build your faith. Read scripture. That's how you build it. Don't ask God to give you faith. Read scripture and build your faith. That's how you build your faith. Get into scripture. Take a next step. You know, follow the ways of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, Jesus got alone. He got quiet. He had these moments of silence and solitude. He lived a pretty simple life. He, he tried to make decisions that wouldn't complicate his life. He tried, to, he tried to keep it simple. These are things that we can do to cultivate God's presence in our life personally. But it also, there's also things that we can do as a community. We can do things communally to, to, to cultivate the presence of God. And, and the irony of me telling you this one is that you're all doing it right now, which is go to church. You know, prioritize your church, your church family. And this is, this is a really important one. And I, and I think sometimes it gets a little bit overlooked, but this is, this is one of the most powerful Christian disciplines that you can do is to continue to gather. See, church, church is that, is that place where you get to come and you can, you get, you get encouraged to, to be able to discern what is of the spirit and what is of the world. Church is that place that you get to come and you get reminded that you're not crazy. Like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one that thinks like this. That's right. Church is that place that you can come. This is the place where hopefully you're able to discern between what is truth and what is lies. What's, what's of Jesus and what's of the devil? What's of the world and what's of the kingdom? See, church is that place where hopefully you're able to get a hold of God's vision for your life, your family, in your future. So yeah, my my. Personal experience, just anecdotally, just what I've seen, but even the data shows that there's this direct correlation when it comes to attendance in church. There's this direct correlation between, between a society's attendance and priority of church and the cultural drift that we see in church. The less, the less priority church becomes, the more a culture tends to be, tends to, to drift away from, 
from Scripture and away from Jesus. And a lot of times, this drift, listen, I realize it's, it's not. It's things that we are understandable. There are often things that we find very reasonable. It's like, well, I, you know, I just had a newborn, so I just think I'm going to take off for a few months. It's like, yeah, okay, it's reasonable. Nobody's, it's like, yeah, I get, I get why you want to do that. It's like, well, I got kids' sports, and so we're just going to be out for a few months. It's like, I get, I get that. We all do. It's like, well, my job's getting really busy, and so I'm just not, just not around as much. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's life. It's demanding. I mean, we get it. You know, it's summertime, and we bought that, we bought that house on the lake, and so, you know, we'll see you in September. And it's like, well, I mean, you bought the house. I mean, I get it. And you know what it is? It's, just, it's not malicious. It's not malicious. But you need to know this. It may not be malicious and nobody's throwing rocks at you, but you do need to know this. You get what you sow to. You will get what you sow to. And so how do I cultivate the presence of God in my family and in my life? Well, you need to make the investment. You got to make, you got to make the investment. I'll say this. I'll say this and hear my heart when I say this. Okay. Stay casual about church and the things of God. Just, just keep staying casual about it and you'll raise indifferent kids. Stay casual about the things of God. Stay casual about, about church. And this is how we raise a faithless generation. Keep, keep investing in sports and casually approaching the house of God. And we will raise kids who care even less. Stay casual. Now, now listen to me. This is, this is a principle. I mean, this is what you invest to is what you get. So if you want to raise, you want to raise professional athletes, then then listen, invest in sports at all costs. Do it. You better go. Go for it. But if you want to raise men and women of God, prioritize the house of God. That's what I would say to you. All right, here's the next part. Cultivating God's presence in my life. I would say this. You go first. You go first. I think, especially if you're a parent, you got kids, I think, I think even if you think, well, now I'm, I'm going to have kids. And you think about the cultural drift you think about where we're at as a society. I think, I think all of us would go, yeah, I don't want my family caught up in that. I don't want my family caught up in that cultural drift. I don't want that. I don't want that. And so I would say, you don't want your family to be caught up in it. You don't want your kids to be caught up in it. Listen, you avoid it. Like, it begins with you. You avoid that. Yeah, but I, I'm really hoping that. I, mean, I really want my kids to grow up, love the church, love Jesus. I would love for my kids to grow up and just, you know, prioritize their family and love the Lord. And that be a big priority for them. Yeah, I agree. You get to know Jesus. Like, you go first. Some of you, you're carrying around, like, baggage and weights. You think back and you're just like, you're like, you know, I got a lot of fears. I got a lot of anxiety in my life. There's a lot of things that I don't, that I'm just, like, I'm uncertain with. There's a lot of big decisions I chose not to take and risks I chose not to take because I've got fears in my life. And I just don't want my kids to grow up with those things. Like, I, I want my kids to grow up in a way that's, that's different for me. I want them to be free. And if you want your kids to be free, listen to me, church, you go first. You get free. Go first. We've talked about this whole garden of life. Every one of us, we have this. If life was a garden, it's made up of these seeds that we're planting. This is not a trick question. You plant, you plant onion seeds in your garden. What do you get? You plant tomato seeds in your garden, what do you get? Tomatoes. You plant nothing in your garden, what do you get? Weeds. Weeds. Somebody said it. That's right. You get weeds. Plant the right seeds. You want God's vision for your life? We all do. 
You want God's vision for your life? Embrace His pattern. Cultivate His presence. Make the investment. Go first. Go first. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Help us to help us to just get a hold of this, get a hold of, of your vision for our families moving forward. I can't think of a better time. The beginning of summer, kids are, kids are home a little bit more than, than normal. What a great time to start taking steps to walk out your vision for our families. Thank you for giving that to us, for your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. We love you.